Welcome to Hope and Resilience Podcast. I'm John Hitchens, and today we have on Lynn Ray, who is a inspirational speaker. She's a success coach, if I could say that, and she's also a uh, author. So, uh, welcome aboard, Lynn. Oh, thank you very much, John. Well, tell me about. You say you're an author, and I have looked at your book, but let's tell the audience about it. Uh, what's the title of your book? It's a catchy title. It's called The F Book. Subtitle is Seven F's to Creating Your Fantastic Future. I realized. Well, well when, I first saw the, when I saw the F book, I was always wondering, wow, what wonder what this is about. But it's not that at all, really. <laughs> it's <laughs> not about fishing. Yeah. <laughs> and I like to fish, so I thought it was about fishing. It was not about fishing. <laughs> That's good, Lynn. I like that. <laughs> All right, but tell us what it is about. You said there's seven Fs and you started to go over some of them. I interrupted briefly, obviously, but go ahead. What do you got? Uh, many, many years ago, I realized there were seven words, all starting with the letter F, that led to my recovery from a serious mental illness, bipolar disorder. So I made it into a speech, and then I thought, I think I can make this into a book. <laughs> So I did a lot of research on each word. So those words are family, friends, fun, fitness, fulfillment, finances, and faith. Wow. Faith being probably the most important. That's why I leave it till the end. Yeah, that's good. Uh, So before we get into those, let's talk about uh, how... A little bit about your story, how you said you had bipolar. What happened? When did it start? How did you notice it? Uh, how did you get diagnosed and, and what were you doing in that area? So can you give us a little history or background on what happened to you? Sure. Uh, when I was 30 years old, I was in tears every day and I really didn't know why. So I was diagnosed with um, major depression and put on antidepressants. And then four years later, I stopped taking them because they were giving me too much energy and I just couldn't sit still. And I knew it was from the drug. So I went off them. And then a few months later, I had a nervous breakdown, I called it at the time. Ended up in the psychiatric ward of my local hospital. And at the time, they didn't really know what it was for sure. And a year later, I had another breakdown. And that's when they told me I had bipolar disorder. And bipolar disorder is an exaggeration of emotions. It's extreme highs and extreme lows where you're euphoric, everything is wonderful. That's called mania or hypomania. And then the lows, you crash after that, and you get depressed. Now, some people talk about bipolar, and they divide it up into bipolar one and two. Do you know which you have, or does anybody talk to you about either one of those, or do you have a a different view on that, or where are you at with the bipolar? I've had it all. I've been manic, which is where you hallucinate, you're psychotic, you're not in your right frame of mind at all. Now, hypomania is bipolar 2, where 
everything is wonderful. It seems like everything comes easy. But then for me, it escalates to that mania. Where, and um, there's one called rapid cycling, which I've had where my mood is up and down several times a day. So I can't put myself into a box. I don't like labels. Yes, I have bipolar disorder, but it doesn't define who I am or what I can do in my life. By giving me that diagnosis, though, I was able to start researching it and figure out, okay, what is this and how can I help myself to get better? And when I found out famous people had it, and they were living their dream life, I thought, well, I guess I can do this too. (laughs) It's amazing how, and that's why we built the platform, the Arch for Wholeness platform is because we want to get the word out like with you is, is if someone hears your story, just like you heard theirs, it's like, wait a minute, if they can do it, then I can probably do it. So that gives everybody hope when people get brave enough to stand up and say, Hey, I have it. And, and the other important thing that I love that you said there was I have bipolar, but I'm not, that's not who I am. It's, it's, it, it isn't my identity. I'm someone else. I'm a, to us. We always say we're, we're children of God, but we're not, that's just something I manage. So identity getting mixed up with the, the label really hurts and it's hard to get that off. And so I think it's impressive that you talk about that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. So, uh, so it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to let you go. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyways, I had a, a third hospitalization and the nurses at the hospital helped me realize part of the problem was my marriage because they could see how my husband and I interacted, which wasn't good. So I had to leave my marriage in order to start to heal. I'm not saying my marriage was the only thing that led to this, but even in the weeks leading up to getting married, something didn't feel right in me. And that was a whisper from God telling me not to go through with it, but I didn't listen. Um, I'm, actually writing some stuff this week about how God gives us a whisper, then a nudge, then a push, then a shove. Then we get hit with a brick. Yes. And I always say a two by four, by the time it gets to me, it's like, I wish yeah. I would just move before. Well, four. <laughs> yeah. I, I waited for the earthquake because it took three breakdowns before I could finally admit what part of the problem was. And um, so I left and I found a full-time job and I was very happy there. But then I went off my medication because I thought, okay, my marriage was causing this. And that started all the highs of hypomania and lows of depression again. I had to quit my job. And when I did that, two psychiatrists told me I'd never work full-time again. And that did not sit well. I was only 39 years old, and I thought, oh, my God, I can't live the rest of my life this way. And I guess that's when the hard work really began, 
reading self-help motivational books, going to a support for depression group, getting a social worker to talk to. And I spent five to eight years either working part-time or doing volunteer work when I couldn't work. And then finally, I was able to work full-time again. And I've been working full-time for about 15 years. That's pretty cool that you uh, proved those guys wrong, both of them. I sure did. (laughs) All those letters not always have the right answer. Uh, So that's uh, another thing that's important. But can you talk to us a little bit about, you've talked to a a couple times now about three hospitalizations. What were those like for you? Okay, so you're having a a situation where you're really struggling. Uh, Did you go in yourself? Did someone take you? And then what did, how did they help you in the hospital itself, the three hospitalizations? What helped you get out or what did they do during the, the hospitalization? Well, each time I went in on my own, somebody else may have suggested, Lynn, I think you need to go to the hospital. (laughs) But um, in the hospital, we attend groups. We talk to a nurse. We talk to a psychiatrist maybe a couple times a week. But at the first hospitalization, they encouraged me to start journaling because I wasn't very good at expressing what was going on in my head, but I could write it down. So that was really, really helpful. Yeah, there's a journaling, everywhere I read, and that's why we uh, put it on the platform as well, is there's a place to journal and it saves it for you in your journal. You can journal to yourself, or you can journal to the the public, you know, to, to get it out, to process it. And we've heard a lot of great things about you know, journaling, doing that. Now, one lady I talked to actually said that she couldn't journal. It was something, you know, most people can, and that's very helpful, but she couldn't, she had to talk it out. So it just depends, but journaling most of the time, like you said, is very helpful. So each time you're in the hospital, were they about the same amount of time uh, that you had to spend? Yeah. How long was that? It was always about three weeks. And it's the first time I was in there, I was scared for my life. I thought they were going to send me somewhere and throw away the key because <laughs> my brain was so messed up at that time. No one's going to see you in again. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I said, the nurses were very helpful. And th- it, after I got out of the hospital, I was encouraged to go back for six weeks. It's called the outpatient program. We go to groups, we do crafts, we do exercises, and the group served maybe a pharmacist talking about medications, or I don't even know what the groups were about now other than that. (laughs) Well, no, but that's amazing because obviously the outpatient stuff, it sounds like that was very helpful for you to start, start the process of recovery too. Uh, so those are important, it sounds like, to, to go to those and be at those. And it it gave me a purpose, something I had to do every day, whether yeah. I liked it or not. I really didn't like going, but I thought, okay, these professionals are telling me this is what I have to do to get better. But there were 101 things they didn't tell me that I had to do. 
And I tell people one of the biggest things, if you want to rewire those chemicals in your brain, those happiness chemicals, such as serotonin and endorphins, you need to get out and have fun because that elevates. It increases those happiness chemicals. And when I left my marriage, I found a single group for people over 30. And I just started having so much fun. We went dancing. We played cards. We go out to eat. We went horseback riding. And anything anybody wanted to do, they would just organize it. And like I said, it was all about having fun again. When I met my husband, I gave up my friends and dancing. And when I rediscovered those things, I said, I'm never giving them up for a man ever again. And that was the problem in our marriage. I became a different person, and so did he, in order for our relationship to work. You know, I was young, and like I said, I gave up the things that I loved the most. And it's not his fault I gave them up um, willingly. He never said, we're not going to do this, but he wasn't interested in my friends are dancing. So, Well, that's a, to me, I, I read that a lot, is that uh, the connections that we make and have are critical to maintain uh, to when we don't get isolated. We go out and, like you said, interact with people, have fun, make those connections. They're just critical to keep you and your mental health you know, high versus getting it lower and lower because you avoid those things or don't have those things in your life. So that's amazing. You also talked about um, getting off your meds, okay? That you went off your meds because you thought you didn't need them. That's a common uh, thing I read is that, you know, you, they, they get them on meds and they go, hey, I'm feeling great. I don't need the meds anymore. I'm feeling great. And they go off the meds mm -hmm. and they go back right where they were. Can you tell me, your thought process or what's the thought process? Is that what it is? Is they just feel like, Hey, I'm feeling great. I don't need them anymore. Is that because a lot of people fall into that trap when they're trying to start the recovery, they're just getting there and starting to do well. And then they go off the meds. And sometimes I had a buddy that was on a med had been doing fantastic. His life was coming back together. He went off the med uh, when he went on vacation and when he came back and they tried to put him back on the same med and it didn't have the same impact. So they were, they struggled to find another med that worked just as well. And I don't think they ever did. So can you talk to me a little bit about meds and what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, that is the most common reason people go off them. They say, okay, I'm feeling better. I don't need them anymore. Another thing is it's not an exact science. They have to try different medications to see what works for a person. Yeah, I was looking back. I was taking like eight different pills at one time, eight different ones. But since I got my life in order 15 years ago, I only take one pill, like it's 400 milligrams, whatever in total. But I only take one pill now for bipolar because, like I said, I practice my seven F's every day. I make sure I have fun every day. I talk to somebody every day. I see my kids on a regular basis. Um, family, friends, fun, fitness. My mental fitness is pretty good. 
My physical fitness is not so good. I struggle with a sugar addiction, eating junk food at night. Um, fulfillment, I get that through my church and through my hobbies. Finances. If we have time, I'd like to tell you how I bought my house 11 years ago. My finances are in pretty good order right now. And faith, I've always believed I got this illness for a reason. There were better things ahead that God wouldn't let me down. I still struggle sometimes with faith, but I know I'm going to be okay. Well, and that's the thing. I think that's a, a huge part of a lot of people, uh, and knowing that just that it's there and that you can rely on that, but also that uh, the scriptures, uh, spiritual disciplines, what it does to your brain and for your brain, ruminating on those those verses versus a lot of times the negative thoughts or the negative things you say to yourself can be very powerful in helping you to maintain what you're doing as far as your mental health. You talked about nutrition. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, I've been reading some books on that that just critical what we put into our body affects so much on what goes up on here as far as our thoughts and how how well it it, it actually functions depends a great deal. And the, the thing that everything that I'm reading, every book, of, every one of the five books I probably have on nutrition and mental health talk about sugar and how difficult it is one to get off but two how bad it is for you and your mental health yeah that's for sure um a couple years ago i started investigating plant-based diet so i'd say four to five times a week i'm having plant-based but it's a snacking at night i live alone you know I get bored, I get lonely, you know, there's nothing more that I would like to be in a relationship with a man, but ha hasn't happened in the last 25 years. Not a serious one anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's why I eat because I'm lonely and bored. Yeah. And that's a, it's a, it's a hard habit. Cause like you said, it's difficult when you're in that struggle to not reach out for that. It's, and it talks about that and it's a powerful, uh, you know, reaction as far as your brain wanting it and telling you you want it. So it's difficult to, to, to do that. And everybody's still got issues. I mean, I guess what? I have a wife and I am busy and I still eat sugar. <laughs> so it's very difficult for me. I'd love to get off of it, but I haven't been able to, to accomplish that yet, but it's definitely something now that I've been reading these books and learning more, uh, I definitely something that you ought to consider as far as getting off the sugar, it says for sure. So I got to try to do that and work on that. Uh, that's one of mine. What else do you have as far as uh, you had your seven Fs? How did you come up with it? And did you just recognize that you were using these things or did you, in the research that kept coming up or how did you come up with your seven Fs? Well, I think I got an email from a man who be became my mentor one day around Thanksgiving, 15 or so years ago. And he was talking about family, friends, fun and faith or something like that. And I said, can I use that? And he goes, of course you can. <laughs> so like, because I realized that those things were all important to me. But 
I could only come up with, I think, five or six things. And I thought there's got to be seven because, you know, there's seven days in the week. There's seven continents. There's seven everything, right? Seven is the biblical number. So I've got to come up with seven things. And I wanted something about money in there because that's important to our well-being. We have to learn how to manage our money and live within our means. So like I said, I came up with these seven words. And like I said, they're just all important to me. Yeah. Well, finances, I mean, one of the, some of the people we have dealt with, that's one of the biggest things I struggle with making, you know, rash decisions or not good decisions. And then their life blows up because they, you know, they have some sort of emergency and now they have no emergency fund because they've spent it all and they haven't managed the money well, or they've overspent or whatever. They bought things they can't afford. So I, I, I agree with you. Money can be a big factor as far as how well your life goes. And that can cause you depression and, anxiety because you can't pay the bills or you don't have the money. So all that stuff that you mentioned, every one of them are really important. It's amazing that you came up with them and now you've written a book about them. So what, what are some, uh, well, we said, if we have time, let's talk about your house. Tell me how that happened. All right. So how did this occur that you uh, got this house? Well, this was God. Okay. First of all, when I was hypomanic, you go on wild spending sprees. I'd go on holidays I couldn't afford, buy stuff I couldn't afford. But anyways, I had to spit on money to learn how to be happy again. So I was deeply in debt. And when I started working full time, I started paying off my debt as fast as I could. When I got debt free, I looked around. My daughter, she needed a soft place to fall. And she said she would live with me if I had a house. But... Here I was, I had no um, debt, but I didn't have any assets either because <laughs> I'd gone through all, all this money on my hypomania. But I thought, you know, I'm going to try. So I started looking at houses and I talked to my boss and he said, go, go to this person at the bank and talk to them. And I have always had a budget or spending plan. So I took that to the bank and said, this is how I'm going to pay for the house. I was going to borrow from my line of credit for the down payment and, you know, get a mortgage. So this, I finally found the house I wanted. Fine. They gave me verbal approval. Okay. For the mortgage. Yeah. I went home that night after getting verbal approval and on the TV, they were talking about how the rules in Canada to get a mortgage were going to change. You couldn't borrow anymore for your down payment and you couldn't have a mortgage of 30 years. It had to be 25 and I was borrowing for my down payment and the only way I qualified was a 30 year mortgage. These rules were going to change within two weeks. Wow. So the next day I called the, I'm getting shivers talking about it. Yeah. I, I called the guy at the bank and I said, send me an email right now with verb, with approval right now. <laughs> so if 
that wasn't God telling me I needed to get out there and buy a house right now. I don't know what was. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, to get it that close and, and, and be able to do it. before the A week before. later, I wouldn't have qualified. Wow. That's amazing. And I thought, I buy a house. If I lose it, I'm just back to nothing. Yeah. So I'll take the risk. <laughs> now, I've had to have borders in the last few years because I got downsized from my full-time job. And I couldn't get at another one because I'm over 50. So um, I, I started working as a virtual assistant for a friend of mine. And I thought, I like working from home. <laughs> so I got other clients to work for doing bookkeeping and administrative tasks. And I did that for six or eight years. I'm still doing it on a part-time basis. But I want to have time to pursue my career as an inspirational speaker and success coach. So I'm combining the two right now. And it's so working. How often do you get to go out and speak? Are you getting out a lot or you're just getting started? How's that going for you? Well, I just started this business about a year ago. It, it's been a struggle, partly because of COVID. And partly because so many famous people are talking about mental health. I don't have a name, right? So it's harder to get talks. I've spoken at Rotary Clubs, a couple churches. I've done a couple talks at libraries that I organized myself. Um, Habitat for Humanity and um, a mental health place I spoke at. So like I said, it's not happening as fast as I would like it to. But I'm working on it. Yeah, it'll come, it I guess. Well, I think it will, and that's the thing: is that COVID did a couple of things, like you said. There is that one; it opened up the ability to talk about mental health. A lot of times, it, it was the door was closed; nobody wanted to talk about it. Now it's opened up, uh, but the problem is it's opened up, and there's a lot of a lot of famous people out there that get the the talk show and the host and this. Uh, then maybe more someone like you that has real true lived experience as well that could be out there helping a lot of people. Well, we've told you we've already would love to have any of your material on the platform so that uh, on RX for wholeness so that we can get the word out for you. So anything you want to, you know, a blog, you want an article, you know, anything you want to do, we're, we'll, we'll try to put it out there so that people can get your story because I think you have a great story. I think it's amazing what you've done and where you've come. And I know that anybody that hears you speak. It's anywhere in that continuum of just finding out to uh, went off their meds or in the hospital or whatever, you'd be a great inspiration for them to know that they can get through this and thrive. And cause you've done it. So it's amazing. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Actually, do we have a couple more minutes? Yeah. yeah go ahead. What do you want to talk um, about? From 2006 to eight, I spoke about my recovery. What happened is I called my doctor one day in tears. I said, I have nothing meaningful to do during the day. I'm deeply in debt, and I didn't have a boyfriend or significant other. Those are the three most important things in my life, okay? They were then. Yeah. They still are now, sort of. And um, I... I said, if I could solve one of these problems, the other two wouldn't be so overwhelming, you know? 
And then that's when I guess um, my mentor friend, he said to me, Lynn, you need to get out and talk to people. So I went to a mental health drop-in center and I realized I was way further along in my recovery than a lot of people there. So I asked if I could do a talk and they let me come and talk and she gave me other ideas about where to speak and nobody was talking about it, but I wasn't getting paid either. I ended up doing over 100 talks in two years, but my public speaking wasn't at the level to get paid yet. And I I wanted to get back to working full time. So what I did is I joined Toastmasters, which is a group where you learn how to do public speaking and meeting planning. And that helped me quite a bit for a few years. And like I said, I needed to get working full time to prove to myself that it could. So I've done these talks before, but I wasn't making a living at. So I said, okay, I've got to get back to work full time in a traditional job. And like I said, it's worked, but in my heart, I want to help people somehow, some way. And I, I feel like success coaching and doing talks are the best way I can help people and through my book. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I think, uh, you know, God a lot of times takes some of our worst times and turns it into a ministry to where, again, the, the comfort and knowledge and everything we live through, we can pass on to others and help them. So uh, let me ask you this before we let you go. Let's say I'm just starting out with, I just got my diagnosis that I have bipolar. What would you tell me to kind of help me go through the process? What were the first things or things I need to do? Uh, maybe other than buying your book would be a good point is God buy my book. <laughs> um, things, but what would you tell somebody that's just starting the process of finding out that they have bipolar? I would say join a self-help group. Okay. Like support for depression. And there's also groups for people with bipolar. You can find them online now, but to me, it's better in person. Yeah. I think anybody diagnosed with a, any illness, physical or mental, needs to talk and talk and talk. I tell people the cure for any illness is 25% medication and 75% working on yourself and your issues. I needed that medication so my brain was in a good place so I could start working on myself. So a self-help group, if your psychiatrist doesn't give you therapy, find a social worker or therapist as well. Read as much as you can about your illness to find out how other people have coped with it. Find something fun to do. It gets back to fun. (laughs) Find something fun to do every day, even if it's only for five minutes. That joy makes a big difference, but uh, also, like you said, getting in a group, being able to, you know, make connection. Almost everybody I talk to, we just, I just saw another individual's podcast. He's a, a psychiatrist at uh, Columbia Institute University. And he said that isolation 
leads to depression and anxiety and all these things. And so getting in a group and processing and talking uh, really significantly uh, impacts how difficult it is for you to recover or if you recover and when you recover, that getting out in a group and talking about it's really important. So thank you for that. We'll certainly, uh, hopefully people will see that and hear that on this podcast. Lynn, anytime you want to come back or anything you want to send us as far as the podcast, obviously we'd love to help you get out there and get uh, your face out there so people know that uh, you're out there trying to do this. A hundred talks is still a lot of talks. That was amazing that you did that. So yeah. I hope you get a lot more and I hope you get a lot of uh, time out there to get your word out of how you've done this so that other people can grasp on. I always talk about grab as many tools and techniques as you can and use what you know, works and throw out what doesn't, but hearing your seven Fs, I think will help a lot of people. Can I leave you with a quote by Deepak Chopra? Please. I believe this 100% when I read it. Okay. You can believe the diagnosis, not the prognosis. Okay. That's good. I like it. All right. Well, Lynn, thanks. And uh, 